If you have a Bible, I'd like to invite your attention to the book of Philippians, chapter number 1. And we'll be reading verses 12 to 18. And as you're making your way there, let me express my sincerest gratitude to your pastor, my former pastor, my mentor, and my friend for giving me the privilege to open God's word uh, uh, today. And um, yeah. I know he doesn't want me to say this, but he's a man I've seen loving the Lord, loving the word of the Lord, the church of the Lord, seen him prioritizing his own, his own family. And if you have a man like that, you know you've got a pastor. What you do with that information is up to you. But what I was trying to say is if you have a man like that, don't take that for granted. I'll read from the ESV. Philippians chapter number one, verse 12 to 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial God and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers Having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, I'm much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Let's ask for his help one more time. Gracious God, ask that you help me, Lord, to speak not my thoughts, but your thoughts. I ask that you help me by the power of your Holy Spirit, that I'll be simple and I'll be clear. And I pray, Lord, that the, the word this morning will be for the good of your people, but ultimately for your glory. This to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've titled my message, Suffering Advances uh, the Gospel. And uh, I have a friend who is uh, now about 65 years old, and for some reason I think he has stopped living. His wife, whom he was with for 18 years, left him for another man. She's now married uh, to someone else. And for reason only him understands, he says to me, one day she's coming back to him. I remember a mutual friend describing this friend, saying, this is a man who talks about the same thing. All he talks about is the fact that his wife left him. 
And as sad as this is now, their two boys have to grow up without their father. And this friend, no doubt, I believe with my heart that he, he loves the Lord. He knows the Lord. But at the very same time also, he has some, I don't know if this will make sense, but he has some very hermeneutical problems. Because he says, God has divorce, and that is true. And he adds that it is God's design that one man should have one woman for life, and that also is true. The problem is we don't live in an ideal world, do we? Yes, the ideal is that one man, one woman for life. But we're living in a fallen world. But hopefully we'll be able to connect this to what I'm trying to uh, explain. But my point is, what actually happens, and what happened to this guy, fortunately, is far from the ideal. So much so that this man is convinced that the wife will one day come to our senses and be reunited to him. Then I tried to reason with him and say, we are to obey the laws of the land, are we not? This guy is in South Africa, and he agreed. And I asked him if he is divorced according to the government of South Africa. He said he is. Then he added, but not in heaven. He agreed that he's divorced according to the government of South Africa, but he believes he's not divorced as far as heaven is concerned. I share this story because this friend of mine, and I'm not exaggerating, has pretty much one thing that he wants to talk about, and it's the fact that his wife left him. And I remember there was a time he told me that uh, the wife was actually with the fifth man after the divorce. That was before she actually got married. Then I said, can you just please move on? Then he was angry with me, saying, Newton, but she's my wife. There have been conversations where he literally cried because I simply lovingly told him to forget about her. And whenever he writes me up to now, he'll write me and he'll put his name and more like say, him and his family, still including his wife, who is now married to another man. This is why I think my friend has stopped living. Or perhaps maybe to put it more clearly, he's living in a fantasy world. And he's actually the very opposite of the Apostle Paul. As you see, Apostle Paul, he has a different perspective. And what happened even to this friend of mine, he came to know the Lord after the wife left him. So wouldn't you, wouldn't you say some good came out of this? He even went on to uh, get some biblical counseling. But for some reason, he's saying, She's still coming back. And he's convinced that when she comes back, he's going to be a great evangelist of not. Notice 
He says, when she comes back. And he's been writing a book, how the Lord is going to use this uh, book. And he sent me a draft, say, Newton, read this. I looked at that, I was, oh. <laughs> you may not immediately relate to the story, but hang on a bit. Have you ever perhaps gone through a very tragic experience? Maybe it could have been a person who should have loved you or protected you. Maybe they didn't. Perhaps maybe it was a parent who did not do what they should have done. Maybe there was some sort of a violation of some sort. Maybe you were seen against. Or it could be that you had some dreams as early as the time before high school. And perhaps your friends have achieved their dreams, but yours are still far from being achieved. Perhaps maybe it is just a concern with your children. Maybe they have shown some interest in the things of the Lord. They profess faith, but today they are openly hostile or perhaps indifferent. Maybe it's a family member. My question is, how are you responding to that? Is what happened or didn't happen still affecting you today in ways that may be unhealthy? Maybe it was a relationship that never worked. How is that affecting you as you're sitting this morning? You see, Apostle Paul, he faced far worse than my 65-year-old friend has faced. The Apostle Paul could have been easily consumed with his circumstances. He could have been consumed the fact that he probably lost weight because of whatever he was going through. He lost dear friends. Those he thought were partners in the gospel were mocking him. Paul had to endure a life of no privacy, chained to a soldier 24-7, a life separated from his family. He could have easily concluded that his career as a gospel preacher has come to an end. Now, can you imagine being in prison for no crime? No, there are many people who are in prison, yet they did nothing deserving prison. But the question is, how did Paul respond to his circumstances? And what is interesting in this passage is that Paul doesn't mention his circumstances per se. And I think that is what is giving us here his uh, perspective. Paul chose not to be consumed uh, with his circumstances or his comfort or his needs. How do you see that? Look with me again, verse 12. So pretty much I'm just hoping that if you want to follow where we're going, just want to look at two ways to respond so that we may know how to respond well. Verse 12, 
says, I want you to know, brothers, let's stop there. Now, when Paul talks like that, I want you to know, he's actually saying, what I'm about to say is very important. Paul is trying to communicate something valuable. Elsewhere, Paul said this, I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers. It is as if Paul said, don't miss this. Yes, this may be surprising, but I want you to understand this, Philippians, and Cornerstone this morning. Are you ready? Look again, verse 12. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What happened to Paul? It was pleasant stuff, right? Of course not. In one word, we may say, sufferings. Paul was thrown into prison and he responds by saying, actually, my imprisonment has served to advance the gospel. What is he talking about? Well, Luke tells us, doesn't he, in the book of Acts, what happened to him. If you go back to Acts 21 or 28, or towards the, book of, uh, towards the end of the, of the book, what is he saying? What has happened to him? This includes him being falsely accused, things he didn't do, his arrest, his being beaten, literally tortured, being thrown in prison, languishing in Caesarea for two years, appearing to our Caesar to say, I want to be tried by Caesar. And part of that is he was shipwrecked, being abused there, beaten by a venomous snake. Now imagine being taken to Rome and ending up two years in prison there, house arrest. And we don't know for sure the rest of the story, how it looked like. And he says, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What a perspective. He's not writing from five-star hotel Beverly Hills. He's in prison. As you may know, Paul had desired to travel to Rome as a preacher. Romans chapter number one. He actually said that he owed the Gentiles in Rome the gospel. How about that for a thinking? You see people that are lost. Perhaps maybe this may be your colleagues. This may be family members. As you see them, what you are looking at them is people that you owe. That was Paul. He had wanted to be in Rome, but some circumstances had prevented him. But he ended up being there. He had longed to travel to Rome as a gospel preacher, but he got there as a prisoner. At least, at least in his mind, he's probably thinking, hmm, I had wanted to be here as a preacher to bring the gospel. And he seems to be saying, what matters now is that I am here. I may be in chains, but the gospel is not in chains. Paul definitely knew that 
the dear Philippians, as he's writing to them, were anxious and wanted to know about his circumstances. Remember, he spent, if you had to read the passage before us, the first 11 chapters, he's talking about the Philippians. He speaks with much fondness. He loved the Philippians that partnered with him in the gospel, even when others had abandoned him. It was a prayer of thanksgiving. Now, as he's beginning the board of the letter, so to speak, Instead of him being consumed with the details, the difficulties, the circumstances, he bypasses all that and is focusing on divine purposes. If Paul was like my relatives, he would start by telling them, perhaps, I don't know, at least where I come from, uh, the difficulties, we don't have, we've got power cards, you know, he's going to be talking about the rising cost of living and on and on. Not Apostle Paul. Again, listen how he starts there. He said, brothers, you will be surprised. It is as if he's saying, I am here as a prisoner, but I am glad I am here. It seems as if he's saying, I do not know how I've been able to do what is being done here. Paul seemed to be saying the gospel is advancing in ways I would have never have orchestrated. I wouldn't have been the one writing this uh, script. Notice again the word here. I want you to see the word, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance, advance. That word there is very interesting. It was actually used in the Greek-speaking world to describe blazing a trail before an army. Like where I come from, in a rainy season like now, many roads becomes unpassable. It's just difficult to go through certain uh, 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 roads. And I believe it must have been then, even those days, if you're trying to get to a certain place, you will need to bring some engineers to sort of clear the way so that the word can pass. And that's the word that Paul is actually using here. In other words, this is advancement in the midst of resistance and obstacles. While others may have seen what happened to Paul as the end of his missionary activity, Paul saw new ways the gospel could advance. In other words, the events which seemed to inhibit the freedom of the gospel became his springboard. Paul did not say in spite of these events, but rather through these events, what has happened to me, me being falsely accused, me being put in this prison, this has served to advance the gospel. There's a note of sacrifice here, isn't there? Paul's private concerns did not matter. The gospel did. What was Paul's passion? What was Paul's ambition? Comfort? Pleasure? Or the advancement of the gospel? The answer goes without saying, right? It is no wonder this man, he's filled with joy. You see that in verse 18. And I believe Paul must have understood joy means Jesus first. The all there in joy, others second, and yourself last. He is saying, my circumstances, what circumstances? Yes, they were hard, painful. I wouldn't wish anyone to go through that. 
But he's saying the very circumstances have served to advance the glorious gospel. Now, the question of the hour now is how? How? How did the circumstances pouring through serve to advance the gospel? Number one, the gods heard the gospel. The gods heard the gospel, but also his acquaintances were strengthened in their faith. But let's look at verse 13. How did this happen? Look at the papers there. So that, papers statement. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial God and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So how did the Paul's circumstances advance the gospel? I mean, by acknowledging that he would not have been in normal circumstances been able to reach the people he was reaching. Paul said, look at my circumstances. I'm in prison. I'm chained 24 hours. And one commentator says the guards had a six-hour shifts. That means Paul had four guards a day. And there's a debate to what the imperial guard or other visions says the praetorian mean. There are those who say this refers to the place where the guards stayed, like more like their station. There are those who say they were people. But looking at the verse, especially verse 13, when it says, and to all the rest, it seems best to interpret the imperial guard as people or persons, if you like. Mind you, point, these are not ordinary guards. These are guards that were protecting, guarding the emperor, Caesar himself. Now, somebody like Paul and nobody like Paul, how else was he going to be able to reach the corridors of power in Rome? Maybe this could be an equivalent of some of us reaching the White House in D.C. with the gospel. So Paul is saying, seemed to be saying, how else was I going to be able to reach the elite soldiers that are so close to power? And then you can imagine these soldiers actually were not just any soldiers. These were the kingmakers. How is Paul going to be able to do this? God's providence, or if you will, suffering, imprisonment. And in other words, what Paul was doing here is, as much as I'm put in prison, as much as this is painful, I'll choose not to waste my crisis. Is that true with you? As you're sitting here, maybe perhaps God has brought to you some frowning providence, some events in your life that are not comfortable. Are you seeing those as opportunities, gospel opportunities? Now, Paul is in prison, right? But Paul is an premier evangelist, evangelist extraordinaire. Now, Paul is turned to a soldier. What do you think Paul is doing with the soldier? Is he throwing a pity party? What do you think Paul is doing with the soldier? Oh, man, I don't even know why I'm here. No doubt he had visitors, but the guard was always with him. And as he's with visitors, perhaps the guards are hearing the conversations, are they not? Perhaps Paul is praying, and I'm sure he might have prayed maybe loudly, and certainly he prayed often. What are the guards doing? 
probably listening, are they not? Perhaps these guards were accustomed to guard hardened criminals. Some people wanted to unseat Caesar. So these people were angry, were bitter, because in prison a lot of people are bitter, a lot of people are vengeful. But one thing they cannot stop to notice, there's difference about this guy, Paul. He's so gracious, gentle. His devotion to inner conviction, his courage perhaps. And I want to believe this had an impact upon the gods, upon their lives. We're not told how they were saved, but if you look with me, chapter 4, verse 22, no doubt the way. Philippians chapter 4, verse 22, as Paul is wrapping up this letter, here's what he says. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. You see that? Those are the people Paul reached out with the gospel, and they responded. Back to chapter 1, verse 13. Paul is saying his circumstances served, served to advance the gospel. So the apparent hindrance has actually been an open door to Caesar's gods. Perhaps maybe people were praying at the church in Rome, Lord, please help us reach out to Caesar's household with the gospel. And in God's wisdom, Paul is sent there as a prisoner, answered to prayer. We prayed for Uzbekistan, Iran, those people groups. Well, <laughs> maybe those answers should come even from here, right? I know those are very hard grounds. But verse 13, Paul says, Notice again the beginning of verse 13, so that it has become known. It has become known. Paul is super encouraged that his imprisonment became very clear. In a truer sense, Paul was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now, don't you think that will make a difference in how he looks at his Roman imprisonment? Well, maybe you're saying, Newton, I am confused. Was Paul a Roman prisoner or a prisoner of Christ? Before I answer, what do you think Paul himself would have said? He answered that, didn't he? He says, my chains are in Christ. And I believe this is what advanced the, the gospel. Because the God's we're able to clearly see that this prisoner was actually different from the other prisoners. Because, I mean, in prison, don't ask me how I know this, but people are very angry, bitter. But for Paul, it was not because of any wrongdoing. He was in prison because of his relationship with Christ. Because he represented Christ. Because he preached Christ. And he says this in Ephesians, Ephesians 3, 1. Paul says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ. I don't know if you're beginning to see this, but Paul is saying that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard 
and the rest that his imprisonment is for Christ. In other words, I believe Paul realized that his imprisonment was for divine purposes. And always say, when we are faced with difficulties, the question many times we ask ourselves, why am I facing this? And many times we don't see the hand of God. And I believe as Paul says, God is doing a thousand things. Maybe we're not aware about three. But those three, we can't even understand them fully. But Paul is not occupied with his comforts or his pleasures. He's thinking of God's greater purposes that only himself God would have orchestrated. Again, the gods are being reached as the gods are being reached. Perhaps by extension, their families are also being reached. And it looks like because of that, he's rejoicing that his focus in life, that his gospel proclamation is being accomplished even from unlikely place as a jail room. You see, it is one thing to be chained to a guard. It is another for a guard to be chained to Paul. What do you mean? Have you ever tried to witness to someone who's running away from you? Can you imagine now being chained to Paul if you were the one who was running away? What an opportunity. But the question is, what about you? Do you assume you know God's program? Do you spend more time mourning and groaning about this or that? The difficulties that you face are those opportunities for you to be on your knees seeking God's face and trying to ask how is God going to make himself, much of himself, through the difficulties I'm facing. Are you advancing the gospel through the pain, the difficulties that God has allowed you to, to face? In a room this size, I believe some of us are going through very excruciating pain. But how are you responding to that? See, God is God. He is sovereign. And it means he will allow things to happen in us that we don't have chosen ourselves. I believe this is what Paul is doing. He's facing difficulties. But in the midst of the difficulties, he's seeing the hidden hand of God. God is always, always working. Is that true in your own life? Is this not the reason why Paul would have said, the reason was so joyous is it doesn't matter the circumstances. Verse 21, what he said, this is what he lived for. It says, for me to live is what? Christ. Even he's in jail, he's not forgetting about his purpose. For him to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now as the guys are actually being reached, Paul's life's purpose is being manifested in the midst of much suffering. You see, again, suffering may be an opportunity to reveal what is really inside you. I had the, the Puritans sometimes who pray, please afflict us when they become comfortable. 
for my 60-year-old friend suffering through divorce revealed that his wife was and is an idol. For the Apostle Paul, suffering was a springboard to advance the gospel. I ask again, what about you? Maybe someone has sinned against you. Are you still being bitter, angry because of what has happened or didn't happen? Or are you going to use that to advance the gospel? How I advance the gospel? Perhaps there's a need for you to forgive somebody or responding in kindness. So God usually uses unlikely circumstances to accomplish his purposes. Didn't Joseph tell his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And Paul must have said the same. Imprisonment has meant much good. The White House is being reached. And in that, he rejoiced. So that's one way. Suffering advanced the gospel. The guards were being reached. How else? I'll be quick now, in case you're starting to worry. Is this guy from Africa going to finish? I will finish. Verse 14. Now, how else did the gospel advance through suffering? Paul's acquaintances. Look at verse 14. He, look at his acquaintances. Verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bored to speak the word without fear. See that? These are believers at Rome. Paul's circumstances became a catalyst for a renewed interest in outreach at Rome. Yes, but how? Because of Paul's boldness, they began to preach more courageously and fearlessly. Some commentators have suggested that the believers preaching, uh, preaching came because they knew that Paul's only crime was Christianity. And that was no crime at all. Before they'd been fearful, I'm sure they, have, they, they must have been afraid of their own imprisonment. Now the fear seems to be removed because Paul, as is boldly proclaiming the Christ in the corridors of power, they were encouraged. In other words, they began to ride on Paul's faith. He's not a guy who's th throwing a pity party, feeling sorry for himself. He is responding in ways that God's purposes are being accomplished. Believers in Rome, again, may have been intimidated. But as they hear God is prospering, protecting, and providing for poor in prison, they're hugely encouraged. And they're now believing that if God can be with poor in prison, he can be with them as well. And I know now this is somewhere that is outside my best knowledge, but a few friends I've interacted with here, they tell me it is difficult to share the gospel here in the States because somehow people are too sensitive. Too sensitive. People are just offended. But anyway, my encouragement is not like you shouldn't be sensitive or insensitive. But my question is, do you still have boldness to share the gospel of people in ways that are appropriate? Or just as, ah, oh, people are sensitive here, don't want to offend you. 
the gospel was advancing. People that were naturally timid are being strengthened. They're becoming bold or daring. In other words, being bold indicates that uh, there isn't any lessening of the danger, but there's a new infusion of courage. Can you imagine what that would do here, even at Cornerstone? If every individual here at Cornerstone, they see themselves as an evangelist, that God has placed people in your workplaces, in your homes, wherever God may put you, so that you can boldly share the gospel. If the gospel could advance from prison, surely in the comforts of Fullerton, it should be able to advance. No? Paul was not depressed by his circumstances, was he? I don't think he was on depressants. Do you call them depressants? These tablets that make you go to bed, sleep? Point is, he was seeing fresh opportunities to spread the gospel. And that encouraged the Christians in Rome to do, do the same. Reminds me of the wonderful story of a man that I believe most of you are known. John Banyan. His preaching was so popular and powerful, but unacceptable to the leaders in the 17th century Church of England. And he was jailed in order to silence him. Refusing to be silent, he began to preach inside jail. And history tells us that not only was he governing a sizable amount of people in jail, people outside jail were coming just to listen to John Bunyan. Yet in that silence, God spoke the loudest. This, he was stopped so that he shouldn't preach the gospel. Then he was put in an isolation way. He couldn't preach. Guess what does? That gave birth to the book. That was the most published book in the English language after the Bible, The Pilgrim's Progress. It came through the suffering of John Bunyan. And Paul saying, my circumstances, painful as they may be, they are not a hindrance. And it's no wonder this guy is rejoicing. And it's no wonder this is a letter that is filled with the theme of what? Joy. Joy. That's, what he, that's how, I mean, he talks about that again and again. Tells him, chapter 1, verse 1, my prayers are filled with joy. Chapter 2, I rejoice, verse 17. Chapter 3, verse 1, rejoice in the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Rejoice. You know, one of the things that I've, I, up to this, I don't understand is I expected the most joyous people, most happiest Christians would be the ones in California. And they will live there. We won't go fail. <laughs> but Cornerstone Church, do you notice that the joy of ministry in the life of Paul was unrelated to circumstances? If joy was related to circumstances, he wouldn't have any. If his joy was related to pleasures of this earth or the American dream, he wouldn't have any. If his joy was tied to him, making much of himself or having a good reputation, having success and all that, he wouldn't have any joy. 
it was all related to what God had called him. Remember when God saved this man will suffer for my cause. And we see Paul doing just that. Let me ask you as a cross, what are you then living for? What is the passion of your life? You know, it's possible you can come to church as you have come, as you're sitting here. When we are done, you're going back home as if you've just come to sit, to warm the pews, as if you're just a consumer. But I don't believe that is how church is supposed to be. Each and every person here needs to understand God has called us to make disciples of all nations and the commission was not given to pastors or deacons. It was given to who? To Christians. And many times God is actually advancing this through difficulties. What difficulties do you have? Maybe it's marital difficulties. A friend sent me a very sad text yesterday. He said to me, Newton, I want you to know that my wife and I are now officially divorced. He says, plans to reconcile us proved futile. I was like, wow, really? My heart. I wonder if the Bible was central to the counseling they received, if any. But I say this because there are numerous couples that are enjoying marital bliss today because they allowed the glorious gospel to be front and center in their marriages. Not their work, not their ministry, but Jesus first. Spouse second. Children third. Maybe it's relational difficulties. Maybe you're struggling to relate to someone or to forgive them. But what a joy it will be to put personal agenda aside and embrace gospel priorities. But what exactly is this gospel? It is a good news. But what makes this good news? Well, it is a bad news, of course. The bad news is you have sinned against a thrice holy God in heaven and left to yourself. You have got no spiritual capital by which to commend yourself to God. There's nothing you have, even the best of the best you can ever do and bring it before God. If you say on this basis accepted, you still have to be rejected because even that is full of sin. The best of the best you have done is full of sin. Your sins have separated from God. That's the bad news. But the good news is you need someone else to save you from your sins. What you need is what we call foreign righteousness. It doesn't mean it comes from another planet in Malawi. It means it comes from another person. And his name is Jesus Christ. Do you know him? I'm not asking if you know about him. Most of you, I believe, you know Nelson Mandela. You know about him. You don't know him personally. Do you know this Jesus? Have you come to him confessing your sins and trusting him alone to forgive you of your sins? If you haven't, I plead with you today, may you do so. Today is the day of the Lord. Tomorrow is the devil's day. Nobody's promised tomorrow. And if you do, you're beginning the greatest journey on earth. Yes, it may be full of struggles, but let me remind you that nothing can steal your joy. 
Because this joy, as Paul has shown us, is not dependent on circumstances. Paul said, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And C.S. Lewis said, life with God is not immunity from difficulties, but peace in difficulties, end quote. How would you advance the gospel today, this week, in the midst of difficulties? For Paul, the gods he was chained to, the gods heard the gospel. And his friends in Rome were encouraged to, to share the gospel with boldness and fearlessness. What about you? Father, I pray that you may use this word to search our own hearts. The Lord, we may be able to respond appropriately to the difficulties, the challenges we face, that the gospel, Lord, may advance at Cornerstone and beyond. Thank you, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.